You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and thanks for listening to our show here this morning on this cold Monday morning in October. Uh, promises to be an interesting program today, as they always are. This is WNDZ, 7.50 a.m., and we are going to be talking about some public policy topics uh, affecting the state and the nation, for that matter, uh, this morning here in the next hour or so. So let's just jump sort of right into the uh, intro of our program here this morning. Uh, at the outset of the show, we are uh, lucky enough to be joined by uh, Jennifer Walling. Walling. She is the director of a group called the Illinois Environmental Council. We're going to be talking about something that's been in the news uh, a lot, not only here in Illinois, but across the country, is what are we doing um, as stewardship of the earth and our resources, and what is uh, public possible in the realm of uh, changes to laws and policies and how we live and how we act. And so Jennifer will come on and talk to us about uh, something called the Clean Energy Jobs Act, and she'll be with us just in a second. And then after that, um, we're going to jump subjects here and uh, talk to Chris Ross. He is an attorney, and he works for social policy at Catholic Charities USA, and he's going to be talking to us about the number of refugees that are be allowed to be admitted into the country. And that number is down significantly over what it has been in the past and some of the reasons why that is happening and what Catholic Charities is doing to accommodate those people who come here. Uh, fleeing their uh, home countries. And at the bottom of the hour, uh, we'll talk to Pat Wynn. He is the director of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Rockford. And Pat, unfortunately, is going to be retiring. And so we'll talk about Pat and ask him to reflect on some of the uh, challenges and some of the accomplishments and some of the things he's observed in his it's nine years. I can't believe it. it just seems like he started the other day uh, as director of Catholic Charities. And then finally, we'll wrap it up uh, talking to Father Mike Bradley. You may have read he uh, ran a marathon um, kind of by running uh, around his neighborhood for a long time, five hours, I think it was. And uh, so Father Mike is going to be with us to tell us about uh, how he ran around Edgewater to raise money for uh, his parish up uh, St. Gertrude's. I think it is up in the Edgewater area. Um, so he's going to join us at uh, the conclusion of the show. But uh, so without further ado, let's do this. Let's jump right into our first subject. And uh, with us on the line, we have Jennifer Walling. He's, she's the director of the Illinois Environmental Council. Jen, are you with us? I am. Hey. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for uh, getting up uh, <laughs> kind of early this morning on this cold morning. It's freezing out there. I was can't believe I was driving in this morning thinking, geez, a month ago it was such such a nice year. <laughs> but hey, that's the subject of our of our conversation here, the climate, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you, uh, your organization, I know, is one of the uh, larger, uh, more active uh, entities out there talking about the Clean Energy Jobs Act. And um, I've read this, well, I've read aspects of it many times. I've read descriptions of it. I, I, you know, what we wanted to do this morning is... I think provide the opportunity for you to to educate uh, uh, the listeners that we have on on what's going on in Illinois with regard to this topic of uh, how do we preserve our environment, uh, be good stewards of our resources, and and I think specifically, sort of just broadly, what what is the Clean Energy Jobs Act? I I would try to cue it, tee it up, but it, but I don't even know where to start. So why don't you sure. take a shot at that? Yeah, I mean. Um... We're really excited to work on the problem of climate change and, you know, tying it to things your listeners are interested in. Um, you know, the Pope's second encyclical, Laudato Si, sure. really covered um, his thoughts on how we care for creation and environmental degradation and, and um, the, the sins that relate in climate change. And um, I think this is a, a really important topic to our whole world. Um, and so we want to address it as quickly as possible. But on the other hand, I know 
tying it, your next speaker is on refugees. We want to do it in a way that um, doesn't leave us with more poor people, with um, people who can't afford their energy bills. Um, we want a better quality of life for, for people. Um, and so, and, and you know, climate, um, there's so much that it's caused in terms of uh, world catastrophe issues that have caused refugees. So mm. how do we address this really mm-hmm. big problem? Um, and so our solution has been putting forward the Clean Energy Jobs Act, mm-hmm. um, and it's a bill in Springfield um, that has four pillars. One is 100% renewable energy by 2050. One is a carbon-free power sector by 2030, then electrification of the transportation sector, and finally rooted on jobs and equity, uh, making sure that the jobs and job benefits um, really go to the communities that need it the most. So that's what our bill is being put forward, um, and there's a lot of energy, no pun intended, around sure. solving this and, and doing something in Illinois. I know Governor Pritzker came out, mm, I think it was in August sometime, and he put out some principles uh, about what the, should be in the bill. And is is that where we're going with this thing in general, or what's the what's I know because the governor can only set out some some principles; he doesn't draft the bills; the legislature does. Mm-hmm. What, is, yeah, is yeah. that where we're at now? Um, well, I think there, yes, yes. I think the governor has been um, one of the biggest supporters of doing something on this issue and, and in the way that we'd like right. with 100% clean energy. Um, and so uh, I think his principles are very much aligned with what we want to do. There are some disagreements. And so having a lot of people in the room figuring out um, how do we solve this issue how do we do it in a way that um, protects the environment, helps us solve the climate crisis, but also keeps rates low for consumers is a huge challenge, but it's not one that I don't think we can accomplish. Going to 100% renewables by 2050 is a pretty lofty goal. Um, and I think in order to do that, you you have to make a transition from fossil fuels that we rely on today to mm-hmm. uh, clean fuels, clean sources such as wind and solar and, and, and I guess other, um, how do you, mm-hmm. how does, how do you propose to, to, to do that? Cause that's quite a, that's quite a challenge. Sure. So, I mean, I would have said just even a few years ago that like, oh, I was working on a hundred percent clean energy. Like I would have been a little skeptical of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been working on these issues just like a number of years um, just to even tie it back, I went to Bennett Academy in, in the suburbs and um, headed the environmental group there. And if you told me this is what I would be doing 20 years later and <laughs> working on 100% renewable energy, I'd be like, that is a little nuts. Um, See, but dreams come I true. <laughs> dreams come true. Um, I'm here doing this. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it is incredibly achievable. I think that we are there in terms of technology, um, the storage and battery power are growing every day. The energy system has changed a lot. I mean, we used to talk about the need for constant baseload power, but we have a lot of new technology that allows us to adapt to changes in the energy usage that's going out there. But also don't forget, you know, in Illinois, we are seeing a ton of coal plant closures and not because of renewables, because natural gas is so cheap. So last year, a quarter of Illinois' coal capacity closed, and they did it in such a way that they gave 30 or 60 days' notice to those workers who were out of a job at Christmas. Um, And so I think that better planning for those communities is our responsibility um, to make sure that there's jobs and the benefits that they need. Um, But I think technologically, we are there, and in Illinois, we have a lot of nuclear power, and our plan does anticipate nuclear power eventually going offline. Um, but, you know, we've we've got all of the tools we need to get there, and uh, there are a number of other states that have passed that as a goal as well. Um, it's entirely achievable. I think you, you mentioned a, a key point, which is the impact that uh, closure of a coal plant can have on a community, and what is our societal obligation to try to uh, cushion that blow a little bit. I think the other part of the Clean Energy Jobs Act that I I saw was there's also some respect for disadvantaged communities as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think those are two of the sort of the main, a big component of, of what you're trying to do. Um, talk a little bit about the disadvantaged communities portion of, of, the, of the bill. Yeah, absolutely. I think in 2016, we worked and Governor Rauner signed the um, Future Energy Jobs sure. Act. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, we did create some job training programs. And there is a, an, a special um, carve-out, particularly for returning citizens from prison, but also foster care alumni. Um, so there's an obligation under that law to recruit those type of folks with employment barriers to the clean energy industry. Um, and those programs are they're being very successful, but, of course, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of job losses right now mm-hmm. um, yeah. with respect to the, the pandemic. Um, but we've learned a lot from that, and the Clean Energy Jobs Act really works on uh, those job training programs for disadvantaged communities. Um, one of the things that works on that we've learned is, you know, when you're working with people with employment barriers, you may need further wraparound services. You may need child care. You may, may need access to transportation, boots, um, all of that sort of stuff that might prevent you from getting a job. And so um, we have a number of those things that help train folks to get to work and uh, access the, the community, but also programs like Illinois Solar for All that mm-hmm. actually install solar power on low-income people's homes so they can access the benefits as well. So we really do think a lot about disadvantaged communities mm-hmm. and how we can make sure that those benefits are accessible to them as well. Kind of going back to the renewable energy portion of the bill, the goal being that by 2050 it would be we would be 100% renewable. I think your plan mm-hmm. calls for 40 million solar panels to be installed and 2,500 mm-hmm. wind turbines. I guess my, my question to you is like, tell me what um, – God willing, I live to t- <laughs> around twenty fifty. Uh, what 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 will what will our what will my world look like? What will my house look like? Will my will I be driving a car the way I am today? Um, what what will be different about my world? Well, I think that um, there's there's a number of things. I mean, hopefully, solar panels will be way more prevalent, and mm-hmm. um, you'll be able to put one on your house or access one that's somewhere else. Um, the other thing that, that is not, you know, you didn't mention there, um, a lot of the benefits of clean energy come from efficiency. Um, 80% right. of jobs that are in clean energy are in energy efficiency and saving energy. Um, and so I think people think about renewable energy or energy efficiency and they think like, like oh, no, like I'm going to have to, you know, really bundle up in my own house. I'm going to be uncomfortable. The lights are going to be a color I don't want. Like people think of of that being their world, but in actuality, um, this new technology can really increase people's comfort levels. So, you know, our our goal here is not to um, take away your iPhone or even in some instances take away your car. It's just to make it cleaner. Um, and so, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more like electric vehicles uh, by 2050. A lot more. I mean, you should anticipate that that's something that you'll be driving in your lifetime will be a car that, um, that charges from electricity instead of gasoline um, because of where that technology is going. And, uh, you know, there's just, I think, bipartisan excitement around some of the electric mm-hmm. vehicles because it is domestic energy that we're using instead of getting a fuel source from somewhere else. And that uh, domestic energy is getting cleaner and cleaner all the time. Yeah, well, and by the way, if you can do anything about that, too, by 2050, I also need the self-driving car because by that point in time. <laughs> I want that, too. Yeah, right. I want to be able to uh, that's you know, text me. and let somebody drive me. You yeah, know? That, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that one. Um, before I, well, you, as long as you can time the traffic lights well, I, that, that, that's kind of my concern. <laughs> um, the other portion of, of, of the bill, I think we've talked about most of them, is I want to go back to this energy efficiency thing. Is So, Mm-hmm. I think what you're talking about too is, and I remember when this was around 2016, and and I was reading these bills, and and it was sort of fascinating. And I remember talking to you know some of the people at ComEd at the time and some of the experts about how they could um, lower the load on y- your house in terms of like when mm-hmm. you use electricity and how you use it. And it's really fascinating 
once you get into the details, I'm sure you know a mm-hmm. lot more about this than I do, um, in terms of like just how we live our lives every day. And if we can, and if we can, if you will, tap the grid at times when there's not like um, a high uh, usage of it, it really reduces costs for everybody significantly. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're up to speed on that stuff, but tell if you know anything about that, that that's kind of a very interesting subject, I think, as, as how we use yeah. electricity and how we live. Yeah, energy efficiency, there's so much exciting stuff. And I, it's kind of the quiet giant of all of this because, you know, we think of solar panels and wind turbines, but, like, really it's, it's energy efficiency and it's, um, you know, jobs that can't be outsourced to China because you can't move your house there and you have to do work here. And so um, I think that there's, there's a ton. There is a um, smart meter program right. where – you know, you pay, I think we were talking about there, you pay the same cost all the time when you're just with ComEd, like some seven or nine cents a kilowatt hour. But actually, energy ranges from one to two to three cents a kilowatt hour, up yeah. to 12 or 16 cents. Um, and that's what the actual market is. And so um, you can get a smart meter installed that will, and sign up for that program. Um, and then uh, you can make decisions about your own energy usage. So you can decide... I'm not running the dishwasher at noon on a Tuesday because the prices are high or I'm going to turn my air conditioning down and you can save money and have control. Um, Nearly everybody that signs up for that saves money. Um, But there are also a number of other programs just through Comet. So the guy just moved into a new condo um, and I already, you know, Comet has an excellent site to look at appliances and I was able to compare them and Mm -hmm. choose an efficient one. Um, but I also signed up, even during the pandemic, they have some virtual energy efficiency where they will give you free light bulbs and a shower. And, you know, I've been talking about these programs for years, but I've never been able to take advantage of them um, in in being, you can do some with a renter, but uh, in being a homeowner, there's just so much more. So I've signed up for something in November and um, I'm going to document it, get my, my light bulbs yeah. in, my yeah. shower head. So. There's all sorts of um, programs that are out there, uh, and ComEd is doing actually just a really great job um, at at talking about energy efficiency. Yeah, you see it so, a lot. You, you do. Mm-hmm. You see it. Um, I've seen it in a number of places that I didn't think I would see it, um, and I think you're right. I, my 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 colleague up in Minnesota uh, had an interesting. Um, they did a lot of work on this topic, and uh, they brought in a professor and some academics from uh, I think it was uh, St. Thomas up in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and they did a really interesting thing that I wanted to do here, and maybe we'll do sometimes. But it was it was geared towards like how people live their lives, and I think a lot of mm-hmm. times what what your what your point is 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 a good one, which is we tend to focus on turbines and wind and solar and all these really high tech gadget things, and. I think there's a my point is this. I think there's a lot of thing we can do as individuals if we're just more cognizant of it and how we lead our lives and live our lives can also help reduce uh, the burden, the, the, the amount of, of energy that we're using. And I think we just need to be all more cognizant of it. I think we are. We're mm-hmm. doing a great job. I think society has gone, has, has done it in the last 15, 20 years. Is, well, oh, actually, sure. I think it goes back even further than that. But I do think, and we can even be better at it, especially with technology. And, and I, we want to push that point more and more just to make people cognizant of these things. It's not that hard to do some of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I... Um... It's not, and I think, I think when people realize it's not just a benefit to the environment that they like can't see, it's an actual pocketbook benefit. In a lot of cases, this is an actual quality of life benefit. Like, not only, I mean, there's there's obviously cool technology things that you can get as a person who can afford them, but there are a lot of low-income multifamily assistance programs. And as an example of of co-benefits, uh, one of the biggest reductions that we've seen in lead paint has been the energy efficiency window mm-hmm. replacement program mm-hmm. because um, those windows are what peel the most in terms of paint. And so going into low-income homes and putting in new windows reduces that lead exposure and, and helps children's brains. Um, and so lots of co-benefits there. But I do think, you know, with the Clean Energy Jobs Act and other work we've done, part of our goal is just to make some of these things easier for people. Like if we had never passed the law, there would be um, no, you know, no real-time pricing with the, the smart meter program. Um, there wouldn't be this low-income solar. So just the combination of making sure that 
um, government is making these programs accessible and making it easier to take these steps um, if you'd like to. Um, plus, taking the steps on your own is a really great combination to, um, you know, our responsibility to the climate crisis. Jen, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. Got to run, um, run up against a, a break Absolutely. here. But uh, thank you much. Thank you so much for taking some time this morning. And 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 this is a very complicated bill, but I think mm-hmm. you broke it down and made it a lot simpler for people to understand sort of the direction and where we're going overall in society. Uh, thank, thank you so much, Bob. Thank you. Take care and uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. We're going to come back with Chris Ross. He is going to talk a little bit about the caps on refugees uh, that have been going on here for quite a while. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Throughout our nation and our world, People of all faiths have recently been joining fervently in all kinds of prayer. They have found that coming together in prayer is a source of comfort and strength. In this spirit of unity, the Archdiocese of Chicago has introduced a call to prayer, a telephone line dedicated to prayer. If you would like to join with another person in prayer, call 312-741-3388. This line is staffed from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily with parishioners from across the Archdiocese of Chicago. These volunteers are here to listen to you, offer support, and pray with you. A call to prayer includes a 24-hour voicemail and email options as well. Experience this wonderful opportunity to join with people just like you who trust in the power of prayer. That phone number again is 312-741-3388. Let's pray together today. You're invited to Keep Hope Alive 2020, the online benefit and celebration of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Immigration Ministry and their nationwide program, Pastoral Migratoria. Join us virtually on the evening of Thursday, October 29th for a night filled with music, camaraderie, and inspiring speakers. Cardinal Blaise Supich and Sister Norma Pimentel of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley, who was recently recognized as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People, will be joining us to help keep hope alive. Now, more than ever, the immigrant community, both here in the Archdiocese of Chicago and across the United States, needs the leadership formation and accompaniment that Pastoral Migratoria provides. Registration is free, and sponsorship and advertising opportunities are available. Visit www.keephopealive2020.org for more information and to register. Again, that's www.keephopealive2020.org. When you think of the word neighbor, warm and friendly thoughts come to mind. Think of smiles across the yard, positive wishes, and looking out for one another on an ongoing basis. Catholic Charities Neighbors in Need Fund inspires all of these and much more. We've seen an unprecedented number of requests for assistance this year from people who have never needed help before. When you make your gift to the Neighbors in Need Fund, you are igniting hope in the lives of your most vulnerable neighbors, especially individuals and families who continue to struggle to put food on the table and keep a roof over their heads. Your gift will give them the resources they need to overcome the unexpected, very serious circumstances in which they find themselves now. Give online at catholiccharities.net or call 312-948-6087. That's 312-948-6087. Catholic Charities Neighbors in Need Fund. Thank you for helping build a world of kindness, one neighbor to another. Welcome back, everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and uh, thanks for listening to the program here this morning. And we want to talk now about a very important topic that doesn't get enough attention, in my opinion. Uh, we have on the line with us Chris Ross. Chris is uh, he's an attorney, and he works um, on the social policy team at CCUSA, and he's with us to, here with us to talk about uh, the refugee issue and why we are of such a cap on the number of refugees we're we are admitting into the country. Chris, are you with us? Yes, thanks hey, for having me. Hey, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on this morning. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, sure. This has been a topic that I've watched, uh, you know, years ago, um, 
I've been in this job <laughs> a long time now. And a long, long time ago, I was on the um, migration uh, committee. I was a consultant or something like that. And when uh, at the on the USCCB committee, and we used to watch these numbers. Uh, the committee does watch the numbers of refugees that uh, the U.S. government is allowing to come into the country. And when I was on it, I think it was like 80,000, 90,000. Uh, this is in the George, George W. Bush years. And, uh, you know, I think we're down like 15,000 now, uh, something like that. So um, I think there was an issue recently with the number declining again. So it looks like the United States government is accepting less and less refugees into the country. And um, I, I think maybe before we go into reasons why, we should probably just explain to people what this program does for people and, and why somebody would become a refugee to the United States of America. Sure. Uh, you're right in your assessment. Uh, uh, historically, uh, it's around 95,000 uh, uh, of what uh, the United States usually uh, sets in the presidential determination. Uh, we have had historic numbers during the current administration for each of their years, um, and so um, that's ongoing. Um, you mentioned 15,000. That number isn't official yet. Uh, we are uh, concerned about that, and it was supposed to happen October 1st. Um, the administration hasn't met with Congress to discuss this year's presidential determination, and USCCB is pushing for an action alert. I'd be remiss if I don't uh, mention that for your listeners. To, you know, if they're interested in this issue, to please contact your congressional reps and the White House. Yeah, to, that's a good point. You know, make sure that they they um, you know actually do finalize the number, even if it is historically low. It does need to be set for refugees to to uh, continue entering in the United States. So, and, and you know what? Um, I'll, I'll probably but but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, no. So uh, uh, start with the numbers there, and then I'm I'm happy to kind of explain what a refugee is. Yeah, um, I, I want to um, do that because you know what I'm going to do is actually in the next segment we're going to talk to a director at Catholic Charities in Rockford, and he runs a refugee program. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask him. But and I've correct. seen some of these people that come in. Why don't you describe a little bit about who comes to the United States and why? And how? Sure. It's not easy. Sure, yes. Uh, so I'll, I'll start uh, with the law, uh, the Immigration Nationality Act, uh, the INA. Uh, the definition for a refugee is an alien who generally has experienced past persecution or has a well-founded fear of persecution on the, account, on the account of their race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. And so um, uh, it's easy to uh, kind of... Miss that for, for Americans. Uh, it's, it's not in our face compared to uh, elsewhere around the world, but um, there is a lot of suffering going ar uh, around in the world. Uh, according to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, there were 19.6 million refugees worldwide in 2017. Um, for your listeners, if you just think back just a few short years ago, uh, frequently on our uh, news media, we saw images of the Syrian war. Right. Um, Right. Uh, those, those people went somewhere. Uh, yeah. and, and that's uh, kind of the, the key fact I'd like to kind of emphasize that uh, when there is strife in the world, you mm. will see people uh, flee to refugee camps or uh, neighboring countries because they truly have nowhere else to go. There is no home as they know it. Um, so I mentioned 2017 data. Uh, in those images, 6.3 million Syrians uh, were displaced during that conflict, uh, according to the U.N. data. So um, that is how uh, refugees uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, occur in our, in our world. Um, and so uh, it's concerning. It continues to grow. The, the number of refugees around the world uh, is, uh, is growing uh, uh, because of um, uh, persecution in different countries and, and uh, political strife around the world. And so um, when I say where they go afterwards, uh, you, you hope that they find safe havens and uh, uh, a country like the United States uh, with, with uh, all the blessings we have in this country, uh, we do accept refugees uh, as a safe haven. Um, we've done so more in the past uh, uh, than the past few years, but uh, we, we do, um, you know, uh, yeah. Welcome, refugees. And, and the vetting process is pretty extensive. I know that as well. It's not like you can just kind of show up and, and we, we take you. Uh, this is the process they go to. They go through. It, it is not easy uh, to, to, to come into the United States as a refugee. And uh, I think the program is pretty solid that way. Well, what, you know, what do you think 
um, uh, accounts for the number, the decline in the numbers. I, I, it, a lot of this has happened during the Trump administration, and but it was happening before that too, wasn't it? Well, um, I, I'd certainly say uh, uh, the previous administration, um, um, just for comparison's sake, uh, the last presidential determination with the, with that administration was 110,000 refugees uh, for that fiscal year in mm-hmm. 2017. Um, uh, the uh, past two, it's been historically low, uh, down, you know, uh, uh, below fifty thousand for the for mm-hmm. the past uh, uh, four years. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's significant. And um, again, for uh, our perspective in the world, being the United States, um, you know, we used to kind of lead uh, the charge on refugee resettlement. Uh, our country alone, uh, the number of refugees that we took in. Uh, was was larger than the entire rest of the the world combined. Really? So we were the leaders. Um, but in 2017, again in this uh, current administration, for the first time in modern history, uh, we did settle fewer refugees than the rest of the world. So we kind of we, we lost that title, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. is is unfortunate um, um, uh, because of again the blessings that we have in the United States. Um, it's it's sad to see, and also I think from a policy perspective, the message that that sends for the rest of the world that um, if this isn't a uh, priority for a country like the United States, what does that say to uh, other countries who uh, may have less resources than than even yeah, us, yeah. and and have to um, uh, uh, attempt to welcome refugees into their borders? It's a difficult question in terms of who, yeah, um, what countries take in who and what each country's responsibility should. But but I think you have a good point in that um, we've been a leader in this area, and 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 you know I I I think our country benefits from taking in refugees. These these are people that really want to be here. They've they've fled a very difficult situation. Um, and and they are by and large contributing greatly to the to the culture and and there's some really great stories I've seen them myself. Uh, it, it really is kind of uplifting when you see what some of these people have gone through and, and how proud they are to be an American. I think that's the thing that strikes you is that you know we take so many things for granted here and then we see somebody that's offered uh, what we sort of take for granted. Just the reaction that they have is is it's 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 really it's it's fascinating and for, and they're from all over the globe. I mean. Uh, you know, from all over the world. So it is it is a comforting thing. And, and uh, we'll see about maybe what will happen in the future in terms of uh, our ability to take in more of them. Where do you see this issue going? We got about another uh, minute or two. Where do you see this going? Well, uh, like everything, we do um, uh, have an election November 3rd in case uh, people ha- haven't uh, been watching any TV or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that will have an effect. Uh, immigration was uh, a major issue for this administration, um, and uh, it, it continues um, uh, as, as an issue for for something they focus on, and and um, you know that will have consequences. I'd say immediately for where this is going. I mentioned at the top of our our talk, uh, USCCB, um, you know, kind of advocating that this year's presidential determination does continue. Um, that I would say, if, if your listeners are very interested in this issue, to get involved in that because it, it's been a few weeks now that we haven't had action, and, and that is going to have significant consequences uh, uh, in the immediate future. Uh, that we need to correct that. Chris, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. Very interesting. We'll keep uh, monitoring this, and uh, hopefully, uh, we'll see uh, if the issue changes at all. It, they often do, and things go in cycles, and. Uh, and I'm sure this one as well. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Great. Uh, don't go away, everybody. We're right back. Uh, we're going to kind of make a transition here on this topic. We'll talk to Pat Wynn and bring up the very same questions that uh, – uh, some of the same questions that we were talking to Chris about in terms of the refugees. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Supervisions program offers guests of our Tuesday night supper the opportunity to learn the art of photography. These talented guests who are often experiencing homelessness are offered disposable digital cameras and they work with volunteer professional photographers to learn the basics of taking photos. Then the artists go out and capture images on film of anything they find to be beautiful or interesting in the world. Their photos are amazing. Visit AfterSupperVisions.com to learn more about the artists and their artwork. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn too. At After Supper Visions, we are developing film, talent, 
and hope. It has been inspiring to see how individuals, families, and communities have found ways to help one another throughout 2020. At Catholic Charities, we usually have 35 to 40 events a year where we gather and enjoy time together in support of important programs and services while raising critical funds that allow us to respond to the growing number of people who are in need of the most basic necessities in life. Many of our events are now virtual. If you would like to be a sponsor for one of these events, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Also, visit us at catholiccharities.net slash events and follow us on social media too. We so look forward to when we can resume our events in person and reconnect with our friends and partners throughout Chicagoland. For now, please consider donating to Catholic Charities so our vital work can continue. Thousands of people in Chicago count on Catholic Charities every day. Please help us help them today. Learn more at catholiccharities.net. You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. Every Monday through Friday from 8 AM to 9 AM, the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Welcome back, everybody. It's Bob Gilligan from the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and thanks for uh, taking some time and listening to our show this morning. So far, been very interesting, and now it'll even be more interesting because we are saving the best for last in the show. With us now at 8.36 a.m. is Pat Wynn. He is the currently the director of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Rockford, and he is going to be leaving us pretty soon. He's going to actually retire. How dare he retire? Pat, are you with us? I am. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning. Uh, thanks for uh, taking some time uh, to join us this morning. And uh, so you're hanging up your cleats after, what has it been, nine years? Is that what we're, we're determining? Nine years? Yeah, a little, just a little over nine years, yes. So, you know, during the break, I was figuring out that this is a 15-minute segment, and if you were there for nine years, that means you have one minute and 40 seconds to talk about each of your years. Go. No. Okay. <laughs> they were all great. They were okay. all great. All right, interview's over. Next guest. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, you know, you, um, kind of like, like many of us, uh, never set out to be doing this. Uh, you're an attorney in, in, in private practice, corporate lawyer. And, and then, um, suddenly, well, not suddenly, but after a, a, quite a lengthy career wound up, uh, being the director of Catholic Charities. So, uh, who'd have thunk, right? How did you wind up oh. doing this? Uh, well, it's a, it was unexpected as you yeah. described it sure. um, after, after that kind of a career, but, um, had done some things for the the diocese and, and uh, been a lifelong resident Catholic in the Rockford Diocese. Uh, it turned out that there were uh, a lot of things happening. If you remember, about uh, nine and ten years ago, when the state of Illinois started meddling in foster oh, care yeah. and effectively right. required uh, the, the, those of us, those agencies that had been providing foster care, to withdraw from that. Um, it was during some of those conversations I had done some work that um, the former director uh, left and uh, went with, continued with the advocacy program yeah. for, foster, for foster care. Um, I did, at the request of the diocese, I did some work helping them look at how to restructure. That was one of the things that our our human resources firm had done um, with, with places. And after Going through and presenting some ideas, they asked me to <laughs> basically put my money where my mouth was and, yeah. uh, and see about directing the programs. It was a real honor to get the the request, and I've been delighted to be able to do that the last nine years. Yeah, you know it's so good. Here, now go do it yourself. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So what what's some of your reflections on, on nine years? Um, what, what I guess, let me ask you this question. I mean, what surprised you the most about your responsibilities the uh, the very breadth of them yeah uh, one of the things that i was impressed with immediately uh was the size the, you don't pay attention a whole lot to the geographical size until you actually get involved and in, in our case the diocese of rockford is the size of the state of connecticut wow. and and once you realize it goes from the mississippi river to the fox river there are a lot of large and small communities within that area and trying to 
determine what can be effective for various parts of those communities was mm -hmm. uh, certainly an education for me, but also an opportunity to serve more than one city, more yeah. than one particular community. Yeah. You know, it's funny, um, the last segment, I don't know if you heard it at all, but we were talking to uh, somebody from Catholic Charities USA about the number of uh, refugees that are being let yeah. into this country and how the numbers are down. And I know you run a refugee program out there. And, we do. And I had the privilege of going out there once, and it really is a, a touching program. Um, it is the American dream when you see these people who have come here and have fled, you know, really difficult situations and 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 how grateful they are to uh, this country, and how grateful they were to Catholic charities, and how they would just participate and stuff. And I, I find those programs to be very, um, you know, rewarding more than just uh, in an intangible way. It makes you feel good. It does make you feel good, um, and you're you kind of uh, dressed it up a little bit in terms of the <laughs> difficult situations because. Uh, in order to qualify as a refugee to come to this country under the refugee program through through the uh, United States, is a person in the United Nations. The person has to be in genuine fear for their life right. and for their safety, uh, and that's what the first qualification is. So we end up with uh, the opportunity to relocate um, individuals. Uh, if there's a war going on, we have probably relocated people from that war scene, mm -hmm. and, and part of our mission as well and the policy that we've had is as a general rule we have hired as caseworkers and as aides in that program people who have gone through and been refugees themselves and have come to the rock for diocese so it, it helps us be real in that sure. um, relationship with the various refugee communities we're we're very blessed to have them as part of our communities you uh what do you see as some of the challenges um, facing Catholic charities in the next uh, 10 years or so. I mean, it, I mean, it seems like you're on decent financial footing, but, you know, that's not... What, what are some of the challenges, macro and micro? Well, I think macro is always remembering that uh, the needs of people change, and therefore Catholic charities always needs to be ready to change as well. Mm. When you look at 10 years ago, that foster care program uh, was a major part. I mean, both numerically, budget-wise, sure. uh, staff-wise, that was it. And that's a that is not part of our programs anymore. And what we have done is find out that there are a whole lot of other needs that are out there that we can be active participants in. And I'm thinking in particular right now, Bob, are the human trafficking and domestic violence, the racism issues, the mental health issues. And we have got to look at um, how we can participate in those. I'm going to give you one quick, um, I guess, story, but also guidance that, that I've always used, uh, taken back from when I was in the, uh, the labor consulting field and, and working with one company one time. Um, the, the gentleman who I was talking with said that whenever he got a, a response to a question or he got approached to make an acquisition of corporate acquisition, he always turned to his mission statement, the mm -hmm. company's mission statement, and he looked to see whether or not the proposal fit the mission statement. And, he's, and I remember him saying, you know, this could be an offer to uh, buy a company that makes money trees. Sure. And you could, it, but it wouldn't fit. It w was not our mission. And therefore, he said, we would not do that. And we look at the same thing. We keep our mission statement in front of us all the time. And if a program, a proposal, an opportunity presents itself to us, turn to the mission statement. Does it fit? If it doesn't, then move on. If it does fit, then embrace it. That is difficult to do. Uh, it is. Yeah, I'm on a not-for-profit board, and and because you have, you're out there, you're serving the community in a certain way, in a certain method. You 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 have a good, you're doing a good thing, and then um, the needs are. Whenever you get involved with these things, you, you just find the needs are so great, and then well, that's and then great. and then then uh, a, a different type of opportunity opens up, but. You know, you're doing a good job here, is and but do you have the ability to make the the transfer to another area? You know, and maybe even doing the same thing, but it's very difficult. Um, it is. You know, we've got two main parts of our mission statement, and that is to treat first is treat people with compassion, dignity, and respect, and that really is a guidepost for us. We really, in every one of our programs or efforts, we need to come back to do that all the time, 
And the second major piece um, is, is making sure that we are advocating for justice. And that's where it can get a little dicey at times yeah, sure. because people have different views <laughs> of what's justice sure, and, sure, and what sure. isn't. Pat, one of the things about Catholic charities I, I think that is good is I think they do a very good job of meeting the needs in, in low-income areas or, you know, people who are really, really in need. I think they, it does a pretty good job of that. I think one of the areas, and this is it goes back to your observation about mission, in, in, is it close enough to the parishes and the parishes? And do people, does your average lay Catholic have a good enough relationship with Catholic charities to either uh, utilize the services or, or support it financially? I think that's I think kind of one of those things where we, 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 we probably need further examination. It's a difficult task. It is a difficult task, and you end up um, worrying that you're spending uh, budget uh, and resources on getting more budget and resources, or are you going to be trying to direct everything toward the direct services that people yeah. absolutely need? That's a tough uh, balance to take because we can't run a program without resources, on the other hand, we cannot just concentrate on being uh, an agency or a, a mission that is run by resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to make sure that what we're doing is our mission, not the mission of a fundraiser or a bank or a, uh, somebody else that has to have the, the monetary part as the, as the primary. We're lucky in that we get to have a, a statement of what we need. Um, our diocese works uh, very hard with us and, and uh, give all the kudos to Bishop Malloy mm-hmm. and others in the, in the diocese who who live the Catholic Charities piece, who recognize, yes, there are people at the other end of these services that really need our, our assistance. No, I, you know, but one, the one point I, I, I love uh, to quote was uh, Pope Benedict also saying, Catholic Charities is not just another social service agency. And so there's got to be that additional, that depth that comes from being faith-based. I thought of that when, when you said about mental health services. It was funny because my wife and I were just talking about this last night, is that I think you do, you see, I think that is such a need in, in, in our society at, at all levels. And um, I think it's something that people in the parishes can rep- could relate to. I, I also sense that um, with people providing care for uh, their their loved ones, their the elderly. That that is that's another thing that Catholic Charities does that that I think could be more uh, utilized in parishes. And and if people were made aware of what they can do, um, it would be helpful. But uh, it, it's very difficult. I mean, these things we're talking about are <laughs> this is not easy to do. No, it, it yeah. isn't. But it's funny you would say that. I'm glad you brought that up because we have a proposal in right now from. Um, our diocese, from our Catholic Charities, to the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. Mm. And it's a relatively new development, but we have a proposal into them uh, that will, uh, in fact, enhance our ability. We've had a long-established counseling department within Catholic Charities, but this will uh, really take it to a a professional level. Uh, We're hoping to do it across um, a couple of deaneries at the beginning and move on where we can finally then have it you know, over the next few years be developed uh, into uh, diocesan-wide. But it, it is to focus, in fact, on the parishes, as you described. But it's also, um, and I think we all need more of this, it's also focused on cooperation among the various uh, diocesan offices, such as the permanent diaconate and the life office and and even the cemeteries. I mean, the people who run the cemeteries associations see grief all day long. Right. Good point. And yeah. and they bring a really unique and valuable perspective to us, and, and we do work with them. This will give us a chance, if we're able to develop this, this will give us a chance to really be involved with those who are facing difficult problems uh, in from various angles. So we got a couple seconds left. So is this sort of like the Marine Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something like that. It, it, I, I think I've worked harder at this than uh, yeah. most other things. It's, it's certainly a an all-consuming kind of a, know, an occupation, but but yeah. certainly worthwhile. I'm I'm very blessed to have been asked to to help with this project. It's it's been. Uh, 
been a great nine plus years for me. Yeah, I, I, I Pat, I really think uh, that the, the diocese is better off that you had accepted that uh, offer years ago when you presented that human resources plan. Um, I think those that you served are, are better off. I think the people who relate to Catholic charities are better off. I, I think you've been uh, a, a really effective leader in that area. Uh, you'll be missed. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll somehow muddle along without you, but, uh, I, I hate to see you retire, but I'm, I'm a little envious, uh, but, well, but you deserve well, it. You deserve well, it. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you too. You've, you've been able to provide a lot of different perspectives and encouragement for us. And the same with Mary Lou Gervasio and Mary Massengale at your offices, just wonderful people to work with. And, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure from our, uh, our perspective, and I'm glad I've got a chance to introduce you and your staff as well to yeah. the other people of our uh, of our mission here. It's been a, a good, healthy, developed um, relationship, and we're very, very happy. And I, I offer the same thing to you, Bob. It's been a pleasure to work with you. Yeah, same here, Pat. Okay, well, we'll let you go uh, and uh, scuttling around to, to, to make sure your replacement shows up soon, right? <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> All right, take care. God bless. All right. All right. That was Pat Wynn, everybody. We'll be right back. We're going to talk to Father Mike Bradley, uh, marathon runner. I'm jealous. 67 years old, and he's still running marathons. I can't do it anymore. I'm jealous. We'll be right back. Don't go away. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. At Catholic Charities, we want to remind you that we are here for anyone who's a victim of domestic violence or anyone who has a concern about someone they think might be a victim. This annual recognition of domestic violence began in 1961. Domestic violence affects millions of people each year, both women and men of every race, religion, culture, and status. It includes physical, psychological, sexual, and emotional abuse inflicted in both subtle and overt ways. If you or someone you know are victims of domestic violence and you are looking for a place to heal and recover, call Catholic Charities at 773-935-3434. That's 773-935-3434. We are working to bring hope and healing. Have you checked out Chicago Catholic lately? Either in print or online, Chicago Catholic has informative and stimulating content, including news from the Archdiocese, beautiful photographs, and a thoughtful column by our publisher, Cardinal Blaise Zupich. Editor Joyce DeRiga tells us about our current edition of Chicago Catholic. We have an overview of Pope Francis's new encyclical on fraternity and social friendship. Cardinal Zupich's column is also dedicated to it. The Archdiocese is urging everyone to get a flu shot this year. We share the details of the campaign, and we have coverage of the recent ordination of permanent deacons. Subscribe now. Go to chicagocatholic.com or call 312-534-7777. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Chicago Catholic, a fresh approach to Catholic news. Do you have a gently used laptop or desktop computer that is gathering dust in your home? Consider donating to our Catholic Charities Veterans Computer Project. We will clean out your device, give it new software, and repurpose it for a veteran who is looking for employment. Your gift will make an incredible difference in a veteran's ability to find a job. Catholic Charities provides veteran services throughout Lake and suburban Cook Counties, giving participants an array of professional and personal support. Our veterans have served our country, and it is our privilege to serve them. To learn more about Catholic Charities Veterans Services and the Veterans Computer Project, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. Welcome back, everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois. Am I over with? Or probably both. Uh, thanks for joining our show this morning. And on the phone with us, we have Father Mike Bradley. Father Mike, are you with us? I'm with you, Bob. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Um, My pleasure. So I'm jealous. You are 67 years old, it says. I'm sorry for telling everybody your age, but you're still <laughs> running marathons. I am younger than you, and my knees don't let me do it anymore. What's the secret? You know, Bob, you just keep going. You keep going. at a time, <laughs> and, and uh, you just keep telling yourself, okay, I'm, I'm going to 
go another block, I'm going to go another mile, and, uh, and and then it begins to add up. I know. Isn't that that's the key to life, right? I know. I, I've got, okay, you inspired me. i got to get back out there. Um, so tell us, you uh, decided to just, to just kind of run the route around the neighborhood, huh? <laughs> yes. You know, it occurred to me, I think this was the beginning of August, that, uh, well, as you know, the, the Chicago Marathon was canceled. Right. Uh, not a big surprise because um, all the major ones throughout the world uh, have yeah. canceled. So it, it wasn't a huge disappointment. But then I got to thinking, well, why not make my own uh, in mm-hmm. the neighborhood? And uh, uh, I spoke with uh, the staff at St. Gertrude Parish, where I live, and everybody was enthusiastic about it. I've been running, uh, well, since 1995. That was my first marathon. So uh, on the average, two uh, a year. Yeah, I think I did my first one around that time, too. But I haven't done two a year. <laughs> way, 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 way behind you. Good for you. So, I mean, we should, we should be uh, get right to the point, though. I mean, you did this for a purpose, not only to stay in good health and, and, and to run, but trying to raise some money for a very important project at, at the parish. Yes, uh, the Heart to Heart program. It's been in existence for uh, some years now. It's a community outreach uh, that serves senior citizens of, of any religion or no religion, actually. Sure. And uh, yeah. the volunteers uh, provide uh, well-being calls, uh, assistance with grocery shopping, uh, transportation to the doctor, and uh, a number of other things. And also, Heart to Heart is a, a lending closet of durable medical equipment. And uh, uh, as you can imagine, with the uh, isolation of the, the yeah. pandemic, many of our seniors who live alone in apartments uh, it just really uh, needed uh, a little extra care. And so uh, I thought, well, uh, I don't want to disappoint them. And uh, so this is a, an opportunity to, to if, run for them. If people still want to donate, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, that would be uh, uh, org, and there would be a, be a connection. And St. Gertrude is S-T-G-E-R-T-R. R-U-D-E dot org, and yeah. you can still go on there and donate. And I think you've raised, what, is it over $20,000? 22000 right? so $22,000. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's great. And, you know, that area of, of like, Edgebrook, uh, it's Edgebrook, right? Edgewater. Edgewater. I'm sorry. I was, was confused. Yeah, those yeah. Two. I'm by Edgebrook. You're we Edgebrook. live on the edge. Right. <laughs> You're Edgewater. I'm by the yeah. I, I live out that out by Edgebrook. Sure. Edgewater is. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of elderly seniors out that way. So yeah. this is really something that's that's really needed. Yes, it it really is, is uh, so heartwarming. Uh, some of the seniors came out to cheer me on. Oh, that's uh, great. Uh, during the uh, the marathon and uh, that's fantastic. Uh, some of them I I haven't seen in uh, in quite a while and. Uh, uh, it, you could tell they were just filled with joy, and uh, it, it and, was a wonderful event. And that's got to help you, too, when you see that. And that's oh, inspiring. Yeah. That's inspiring. Yeah. So uh, when's Marathon? What What do you want? Are you nearing Marathon number 50, then? Yeah, this was number 49. 49. All. All I've, right. I've run Chicago 20 times, All right. and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, next year, October, will there will be another uh, Chicago Marathon. So I haven't decided what, uh, what, maybe you have a suggestion or two. Uh, I did Alaska. That was beautiful. Really? Yes. It's in June. Okay. Uh, Midnight Marathon. It was beautiful. Okay. Yeah. And it's a great time of year in Alaska. If you ever, yeah. if you've never been to Alaska, it's a great opportunity to go. Sure. Great excuse. Yeah. 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 Run the, see the world through running marathons, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I would do. New York City, you've probably done that one. No, no, I haven't. Oh, you know, that would a, be a good on a lottery system. It and, is. Uh, yeah. Uh, my number hasn't come up yet. Yeah, I I got lucky or ill, not lucky. That's that's that, those are the two I did. So those those are two suggestions for you. Now okay. now you have forty eight for me. I'm sure. <laughs> so one more time, the uh, the address if you want to give is www.saintgertrude.org, uh, and that goes to the Heart to Heart Ministry, and that serves senior citizens in that area of Edgewater. Um, that really needs some services, uh, really good uh, information. So if anybody's interested, and uh, you can support Father Mike's 49th Marathon. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much, Father Mike, for coming on. God bless. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois. And uh, our thanks go out to Jen Walling of the Illinois Environmental Council. Chris Ross, an attorney with Catholic Charities, Pat Wynn with Catholic Charities in Rockford, and finally, Father Mike Bradley 
from the St. Gertrude's Parish. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back on the third Monday in the month of November. Can you believe it? Hope, stay well.